You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. church family. This is our second to last week in the book of 1 John. All right, so we've got one more week. You're not going to want to miss the closing next week when we'll wrap it up after. It'll be 13 weeks, I think. Um, That's an unlucky number. We don't believe in that stuff, right? Anyways, well, uh, summer is here, isn't it? School is out. I think all the kids are out, yeah. Um, People are thinking about vacation. Things are starting to slow down for a lot of people. Uh, Who's happy for summer? Okay, all right. Um, I'm pretty happy summer is here. We actually enjoy having our kids home over the summer um, during the day when school is out. We don't have to wake up super early to get everybody ready and off to school. Um, Things are just a little bit slower around our house. Annette is home. I work from home uh, most of the time. And so we can kind of take it easy, do some daytime activities, and then still get work done that needs to be done. I really enjoy the summer months, uh, but I didn't always, uh, especially when I was a teenager. Here's why. My parents, they both worked full-time jobs. My siblings are all much older than I am, and so um, they were already living on their own, um, which means I was by myself during the day most of the summer. I didn't have a car, and most of my friends lived on different parts of of the city, and so really there wasn't a whole lot for me to do, but I did watch a ton of TV, a ton of TV, Um, and this was before streaming and on-demand TV, and so I had to resort to whatever was on daytime television, right? Um, which it didn't offer that much. How many of you had a similar experience to me growing up as a teenager? Yep. Um, You younger folks, God bless you. You have no idea what I'm talking about, daytime television, because you've always had YouTube and Netflix and Disney Plus and all of the other on-demand things right at your fingertips, right? And so I had daytime television to resort to. That was it. And let me tell you, um, daytime television isn't awesome, it's not awesome. If you know, you know. Um, what's that? I still had a remote, and so I, I, I wasn't, yeah, I still had a remote. Um, but daytime television, not awesome. You had um, game shows, plenty of those, uh, soap operas, uh, telenovelas, if you're into that thing, news, uh, shopping shows like QVC, educational shows, um, old TV show reruns. Things that a a teenager would not enjoy watching all day. Um, Oh, and they also had courtroom TV shows. Who remembers courtroom TV shows? Um, I'm talking Judge Judy, Judge Mathis. Who knows this one? Judge Mills Lane. He was the best. Um, I probably watched more courtroom TV than I'd like to admit this morning, but there you go. Um, Especially during the summer months. These shows, they, they had a good mixture of drama Suspense, mystery, even comedy, because many of the judges would crack jokes at the expense of the the, the plaintiffs and the defendants. It was awesome. And so I would watch a lot of courtroom shows, and and they all pretty much followed the same uh, structure. You had a plaintiff 
Um, you had a defendant. The plaintiff would say, I've been wronged. The defendant would say, I did nothing wrong. And the judge would then have to decide, right, um, who was right, who was wrong, what the, the, the sentencing is, and all those kinds of things. Um, and this is what kept me entertained for a lot of my summer. And I don't miss it one bit, all right? Why do I saw, say all of that? Because as we continue through 1 John chapter 5 today, I can't help but be reminded of those courtroom TV shows. Uh, the passage we're focusing on today reminds me a lot of a courtroom kind of scene. And at the center of this scene is the debate of who is Jesus. Okay, there's, there's one side that says Jesus is a good man, but he's just a man. Then the, the other side is saying that Jesus is not just a man, but he's the God-man. Uh, so the, the plaintiffs, um, they've issued all of their evidence, right? One side, the, the Jesus is just a good man side. They've said everything that they've wanted to say. And today in this passage, it's John's turn. He's going to present his evidence for why Jesus is not just a good man, but he is the God-man. Um, but the twist in this case is that we are left to judge as jury and decide for ourselves who Jesus is. So that's kind of the structure for today. Uh, the title of today's message is Witness and Testimony. Um, could we all just pray one more time before we continue? Lord, I just sense a stirring in this place. Uh, maybe for, for some, maybe it feels a little bit like a, an agitation. But Lord, I pray that you would come and you'd bring peace to us right now. Holy Spirit, we, we remember you. We celebrate you today on this day of Pentecost when you came and you established your, your ministry here on earth. We thank you that we have you inside of us. Would you be our comforter this morning? Would you be our, our, our guide, our truth teller this morning? Help us to see you, Jesus, for who you really are and help us to make a decision for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would all leave here confessing you, Jesus, as the Son of God, come in the flesh. We thank you for what you're doing in this place and what you want to do in this place. We love you. We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, uh, let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to focus on just uh, seven verses today, 6 through 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Um, and if you missed last week, Last week, after 11 weeks, we recited from memory the entire chapter of 1 John, and I think it was pretty amazing. It was so cool. It was so awesome to hear a chorus of people, not just reading scripture off of a page, but reciting it from memory, from their hearts and from their minds. And I was so encouraged by that, and I hope you were encouraged too, um, especially if you were pretty hesitant and resistant to my challenge, but you accepted it, you stuck through it to the very, very end, and I hope uh, you saw that you did a really good job, actually. And so um, we're not going to publicly recite any scripture today, but I wonder if there are any who would privately challenge themselves to keep memorizing 1 John all the way to the very end. Do you think you could do it? I know you could do it. If you can do a whole first chapter, you only got four more chapters to go. That's it. You can do it. And 1 John is actually the letter that most people try and memorize all through, all the way through. That's usually um, what they do. Okay? Um, but for today, um, we're going to focus on 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Everybody there? Okay, if you're there, say happy Memorial Day. All right, I'm going to take that that we're all there. Um, so we're trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? 
And the reason why we're answering this question, um, the reason why it's so important is because it's the question behind the question. Have you ever had a question in your mind and as you're trying to figure out the answer to it, you realized, actually, I need to answer this question before I can answer that question. Well, if you remember, John is writing this letter to help people answer a question. Um, what is a real follower of Jesus and am I one of those? That's, that's what John is trying to help us understand. Um, what does a genuine follower of Jesus look like? And so, uh, John, uh, we have to answer that question before we can, uh, sorry, we have to answer the who is Jesus question before we can answer that question. And so, John, he's been telling us this whole time, all throughout the letter, who Jesus is, right? He said, he's the son of God. He's the Christ, the Messiah. He's the son of God, the Christ, come in the flesh. And John has been saying these things over and over and over again. But he's been saying them as just pure fact. Um, and he has yet to provide any kind of evidence to back up his claims. Uh, he has said that, that he is an eyewitness of Jesus. He heard him. He saw him. He touched him. He lived life with Jesus. But John, he now finds the need uh, in this passage to present more witnesses and more testimony concerning this question of who is Jesus. Um, because in the ancient world legal system, it wasn't enough to just have one witness come along and, and give testimony in order to accept that as true. You had to have at least two and even more than that. Well, in this passage, uh, John doesn't present just one more witness along with his own. He presents a total of five additional witnesses and their testimonies to confirm who Jesus really is. And by presenting multiple witnesses, John is trying to communicate that the criteria for confirming what is true has been well satisfied, well met. Okay? And so the, the first three witnesses, we see them mentioned in verses 6 through 8. Let's read that together. They say, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. That's who came by water and blood. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. All right, so what and who are the first three witnesses that we just read? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Okay, now um, we can all agree that the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, okay, the third person of the Trinity. Because this isn't the first time that John has referenced the active role of the Holy Spirit in the world and in people's lives. Um, and we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in a moment. Um, but what about these other two witnesses that John presents? Water and blood. Water and blood. Well, um, there's actually some debate among Bible scholars as to what the water and the blood represent. Um, there are some things in the Bible I think we can all agree um, that we shouldn't debate, right? Like the resurrection of Jesus. That happened, that's real, and it's central to our Christian faith. Um, but there are other things in the Bible that are difficult to understand. Um, and if differing opinions arise from different people uh, as we try to make sense of it, and those opinions are still biblical and point to Jesus, then that should be okay, all right? Um, and that's what we have here in the water and the blood. Um, it's hard to discern um, what John is referring to, but we can make some educated guesses. 
And so different scholars who love Jesus and they love God's word, um, they have different opinions and understandings about what the water and the blood represent in this passage. Now, all of them agree that, that they both point to Jesus. They all have something to do with Jesus, but how they point to Jesus is what's in question. And so all we can really do in that moment is say, um, this is what we think these mean based on our, our best, um, you know, on our educated guesses. And so what I want to do is I want to present some of the different and, and the best explanations that are out there for what the water and the blood represent, and then I'll tell you what I think. And so this first part is pretty heavy just Bible teaching, okay? Are we okay with that? All right. So some scholars believe that the water and the blood um, are references to the sacraments, what do I mean by that? Well, baptism and communion. Okay, baptism has water and communion. We talk about blood during that. Um, because in the Gospels, we see Jesus go to the River Jordan where John the baptizer, he's baptizing people. And Jesus comes along and says, baptize me too. And this is his official entrance into his life of full-time ministry. Uh, then, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he sat down with his disciples, passed a cup around full of wine, and said, this is my, what, blood, right? Drink it in remembrance of me. And so that's the first view. Um, the second view is that the water and the blood, they both represent Jesus' physical birth into the world. Um, because if you've ever birthed a child, um, or you've witnessed the birth of a child, then you know that there's a lot of water and blood involved, isn't there? Yes, there is. Um, and the fact that Jesus came into this world by natural birth from a woman points to his humanity. That he came in the flesh to dwell among us and like us. All right, that's the second view. The third view um, is that the water and the blood represent Jesus' life and death respectively. Again, birth involves a lot of fluid. Jesus did come into this world by natural birth as a baby. And water is often associated with life. Uh, blood, on the other hand, is often associated with death. And we know that Jesus did die and his blood was shed. That's number three. Okay, number four is that the water and blood represent Jesus' crucifixion. Right? After Jesus gave his last breath on the cross, the Romans and the Jewish leaders wanted to make sure that he was really dead. And so what did they do? Um, they took a spear and they pierced his side. And the Bible says, specifically in John, it says that when this happened, what poured out of Jesus? Water and blood. And this points to the fact that Jesus really did die. It wasn't some pretend death, right? He really did die on the cross. And so these are the four views commonly held by different scholars and followers of Jesus. Again, what's important is that they ultimately point to who Jesus is. Um, but how is what's in question, and it's the how that we get these different views. Um, I don't think any of these views are bad, um, but I do think that there's a view that is better and more consistent with the rest of Scripture, especially with what we're talking about in 1 John today. Um, and it helps us answer the question, who is Jesus? All right, so with that, um, I believe that the water probably represents Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism. Uh, like I said just a moment ago, um, we read in the Gospels where John the baptizer was at the Jordan River baptizing people. And John's baptism was one of repentance, right? He was calling on Jewish people who believed in God to turn away from their sin and live holy lives in preparation for the coming Messiah. 
Um, and their baptism in, it, baptism in water symbolized that they were being cleansed of sin and they were choosing to live a life uh, of sin or leave a life of sin behind them. Okay? But then Jesus, I'm sorry, John sees Jesus coming in the distance and he proclaims what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was, uh, that he was the Messiah finally come to rescue the world. And part of John's job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And John knew that the Messiah would be like a spotless lamb. He had read his Bible. He knew what the Messiah would be like, meaning that he would have no sin. Uh, he would be perfect. Uh, but Jesus, he shocks John, and he says, I want you to baptize me too. And this is shocking because baptism is for who? Sinners. And John knew that Jesus the Messiah was sinless. He even turned to Jesus and said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted and so was baptized in water by John. Now why is this significant? Well, for many reasons. Uh, for one, uh, Jesus hints that his baptism fulfilled pro prophecy in some kind of way. Um, but secondly, Jesus' baptism allowed him to identify with sinners. Okay, now, now catch what I just said there. Um, Jesus is not a sinner, but he identified with sinners. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, which means that Jesus is able to relate to us and our human experience, but he did so without sinning whatsoever. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to sin better than the rest of us. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer through life. Jesus knows what it's like to be human, which means he knows how to be our representative. He knows how to advocate for us on behalf, on behalf of us to the Father, um, which we've talked about previously in this series. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't, in his perfect holy state, he doesn't look down on us. He doesn't scoff at our human condition, but he sympathizes and identifies with us, which for me makes him love him even more. And one way he did that was through baptism. And so Jesus' water baptism was a way for him to identify with us. Um, but what other significant thing happened during his baptism? Well, the Gospels say that when Jesus rose from the water, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and the audible voice of God could be heard by everyone who was there. And that voice, God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He testified to who Jesus is. And so the water testifies about who Jesus is because at Jesus' baptism, God the Father publicly testified that Jesus is his beloved son. Can you see the significance of this? Um, we have Jesus identifying with humanity and God testifying of his divinity all in one moment. And John is saying, if you want to know who Jesus is, look to the water. Look to the baptism. The water testifies about the identity of Jesus. All right? Um, what about the blood? Well, I think the blood probably represents Jesus' crucifixion um, and the, the several moments surrounding his crucifixion. Because like I said earlier, on the night before he was betrayed um, and before he went to the cross, he had a last meal with his disciples. And he passed around this cup full of wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you. And Jesus' blood was ultimately poured out for us at the cross, at the crucifixion. 
And then shortly after that meal, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying to God, asking if there was any way to rescue humanity from their sin, any other way. But he ultimately resolved to God's will, which was the cross all along. And Jesus was in such despair about the cross um, and what he would have to endure, the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood. Um, and medical doctors will tell you that for someone to sweat drops of blood would mean that they were in such um, distress and stress and turmoil about something going on in their lives. Uh, then Jewish leaders and authorities, they arrested Jesus, beat him, and spit on him, had him delivered over to the Romans who also beat him and, and scourged him and forced a crown of thorns into his head, all of which caused um, an incredible amount of Jesus' blood to be spilled. Uh, but not satisfied with this, the Jewish leaders demanded that Jesus then be crucified. So already bloodied and beaten Jesus carried his own cross to the hill where they nailed the equivalent of railroad spikes through his hands and feet, shedding even more of his blood. Uh, Jesus eventually suffocates and dies. And like we said earlier, to make sure he is dead, a spear is thrust into his side, causing whatever remaining blood is left in his body to be poured out. And we all understand why Jesus' blood is so important for us. Right? One, it proves again that he really is human, just like us. Spirits don't bleed. Angels don't bleed. But humans do. And Jesus really did come in the flesh, but also... Only God has the power and strength to bear the weight of all of humanity's sin on the cross. And that's who Jesus is, and that's what he did for you and me. Again, his humanity and his divinity were clearly displayed on the cross at the crucifixion. Um, not only that, I and mean, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment, but there are only three times in the Gospels where God's audible voice is heard by Jesus and those around him. And one of those moments, we'll look at it a little bit more, is that Jesus is, uh, or just before Jesus was crucified, where God testified to who Jesus really is. Um, and John is saying, if you want to know who Jesus is, look to the blood. Look to the crucifixion. The blood testifies about the identity of Jesus. All right, we tracking so far? That's the blood, that's the water, that's what I think. Um, now we have two very compelling witnesses, right? The water and the blood and their testimonies about who Jesus is. And what about the third witness, the spirit? The spirit. Well, simply put, uh, Jesus lived and ministered. He endured the cross and was raised from the dead all by the power of the Holy Spirit while here on earth, right? At Jesus' baptism, we see the Holy Spirit fall upon him. Uh, in the likeness of a dove, and, and some of the Gospels say that the Spirit remained on Jesus. Um, and we see Jesus live and operate by the power of the Holy Spirit in three major ways. One, Jesus was sinless. And a primary function of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is to help them live according to the ways of God, which means not sinning. Uh, number two, Jesus only ever spoke the truth. He never lied. Uh, like we read in verse 6, the Spirit is the truth. Elsewhere, we read that the Holy Spirit teaches and leads us into all truth. Um, third, Jesus performed mir many miracles, signs, and wonders. We also read in the Gospels where Jesus breathed his spirit out upon his disciples, and they too were able to perform miracles, signs, and wonders from that moment on. And when Jesus was ascending into heaven, um, he said that we would receive power. Power for what? To witness, to testify, 
um, to live holy lives and to also perform miracle signs and wonders to authenticate our witness. So Jesus, he operated by the power of the Holy Spirit just like we are supposed to. As humans, we need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God calls us to live, and Jesus modeled that for us perfectly. Right? But Jesus, as a perfect, sinless human, as God, had a more perfect connection to the Father and the Spirit um, pointing to his divine nature. And so John is saying, if you want to know who Jesus is, look to the Spirit. The Spirit in Jesus testifies about his identity. But also, John is saying, and has said previously, that if we want to know who Jesus is, then we need the Spirit inside of us too. We need the Spirit. Right? Just before going to the cross, Jesus said in John 15 that when the Holy Spirit comes, referring to the day of Pentecost that we remember and celebrate today, um, he will testify to us about who Jesus is. Uh, Paul, he also taught in 1 Corinthians 12, which is all about the gifts of the Spirit, but he said that no one can even say and confess that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit and by his power. Uh, the Holy Spirit's favorite thing to do is talk about who Jesus is. That's his most favorite thing to do. And that's what Jesus said in John 16, verse 4. He said, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, the Holy Spirit also helps us understand Scripture, which is ultimately all about who Jesus is. And some of you, I know, you've told me your stories. You've personally experienced a moment um, in your life when you didn't believe in God. But then as you started reading the Scripture, all of a sudden you believed. And it, and it might even be difficult to explain what happened in that moment. But here's what happened. The Holy Spirit was testifying to you about who Jesus is. And in that moment, your soul, your heart was transformed and you believed in him. It's so simple and yet profound at the same time. And there are countless testimonies from people who had this kind of experience. And so um, in verses 6 through 8, John presents three different witnesses, the water, the blood, and the Holy Spirit, who all testify about who Jesus is. Um, and what John says in verse 8 is that all three witnesses agree on the same thing. Okay, Jesus is not just a good man. He is the God-man. And when you present multiple witnesses in the court of law, you want them all to agree, don't you? That's a good day, isn't it? Um, you want their testimonies to, to align because it proves your case. So in a way, John is saying, what more do you need? Uh, I've just presented three very good witnesses. What more do you need in order to believe the truth about who Jesus is? But John's not done yet. Okay, You know how um, in courtroom TV shows uh, or movies... There's that, that moment when one side, they've presented all of their evidence and all of their witnesses, um, and they're feeling pretty confident that they've won the case, right? But instead of resting their case, they always have just one more witness, right? The star witness. And they always wait till the very end to present this last witness. Because if their previous witnesses weren't enough, then the star witness is the one who will close the case in their favor once and for all. Right? It, and it's always a dramatic scene, too. Can you remember those courtroom scenes? Right? The lawyer will call out to the judge, Judge, I have one more witness to present. Right? I call forth so-and-so to the stand. And there's this audible gasp in the audience, right? And then a, a hush as the, the witness slowly walks up to the stand. Well, that's what John is doing right here in this moment. Right? Because the next witness is the star witness. He's the, the best witness. 
Um, because the next witness that, that John calls up is God himself, the father of Jesus to the stand to provide his very own testimony. Because if anyone is going to know who Jesus is, it's going to be his father, isn't it? I mean, John alone, again, he's a pretty compelling witness because he heard Jesus. He saw Jesus, touched him. Uh, he was there at his death when all the other disciples had fled. He was the first one to the tomb and tells, says, hey, I beat Peter to the tomb. I was the first one. I was there. Um, he saw the resurrected Jesus. And so along with his testimony, we also have the other apostles' testimonies in writing. We have multiple testimonies from people who agree um, that Jesus is the Son of God come and the flesh. And when we think about testimony to, to determine what is true, we also rely on tons of people's different testimonies, don't we? Right? When we are trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, we rely on people who were there if we weren't there. And, and listen to what John says next in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, then the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. John is saying that if you receive the testimony of, of multiple human witnesses, then you would be crazy and intellectually dishonest to not believe the testimony of God himself, the father of Jesus, who is far greater than men. And he knows Jesus better than anybody else. All right, parents, true or false, you love your children more than anyone else ever could. True. Even when they're being crazy little heathens, you love them, don't you? Right? Uh, true or false, you know your children in ways that no one else will. True. And if you have a good relationship with your kids, then you could even say you know them better than anyone else does. And when your kids succeed and do well in life, could anyone else be more proud than you, their parents? Of course not. Who could honestly deny the testimony of a loving and proud parent about their kids? And when we look at the Gospels, we see nothing but love and pride of God the Father towards his son, Jesus. What does he say specifically about him? Again, there are three times in the Gospels where God's audible voice is heard by Jesus and those around him. Um, at Jesus' baptism, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God says this, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's love. That's pride right there from the father to the son. And this is echoed in Mark 1 and Luke 3. And then at Jesus' transfiguration, where, where Jesus met with Moses and Elijah, um, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, uh, God says this, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, love and pride from the father to the son. And this is echoed in Mark 9 and Luke 9. And then the third time that God's audible voice was heard, we read about it in John chapter 12, verse 28. And this is just before Jesus went to the cross. And God said this, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And God was talking about glorifying his own name in his son, Jesus. And when you think about it, when a father is willing to identify and attach their very own name to their children, that means something. That's really important, isn't it? And John is saying, if we don't believe God the Father's testimony, who can never lie, then John says we're calling God a liar. Can you imagine that? 
going right up to God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, looking him in the eye and saying, you're a liar. Who, who would ever do that? But that's exactly what someone does when they don't believe that Jesus really is the son of God. Because you're not just denying belief in Jesus as the son of God, you're denying God the father's very own testimony of what he says about his son, right? Deny the testimony of men, fine. But denying the testimony of God himself, John's saying that's unthinkable. So John, he, he's presented not just his own testimony, but also the testimony of four powerfully convincing witnesses. The water, the blood, the spirit, and God the Father himself. Right, what a lineup of witnesses. Has there ever been a more solid and convincing panel of witnesses in the history of courtroom settings? No, of course not. All right, but, but here's the bottom line as we start to wrap things up. Here's the bottom line. What all of these witnesses testify and say about who Jesus is will have zero impact on your destiny and your own eternity. Zero impact. That John would testify to Jesus as the Son of God come in the flesh. That the water, blood, and spirit testify to Jesus as the Son of God come in the flesh. That God himself would say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It will have zero impact on what your eternity looks like. The only testimony that matters and has an impact on what your eternity will look like is your own. It's your own. It's your own. And so what is your testimony about who Jesus is? And John turns it on us now. Right, going back to verse 10, John says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He's saying, if you believe what these other testimonies about Jesus are saying, that he is the Son of God come in the flesh, then that testimony is yours now, and it's inside of you. And what is the result of having that testimony as your own? Continuing in verses 11 and 12, John says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son, meaning that they believe that Jesus is the son of God come in the flesh. Whoever has the son has this eternal life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. You see, it, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Right? What matters, what impacts your eternity is what you say and what you testify about who Jesus is. If you testify that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, then you have eternal life. If you don't testify that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, then you don't have eternal life. Once again, as has become familiar of the Apostle John, that's pretty simple and straightforward logic. Right? Eternal life has already been secured for us by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That can't be undone. The work of Jesus is done and finished, and it will never change. It cannot be taken away from you. It is sealed. It is only your testimony, though, that will decide whether or not you have eternal life. And let me just say one quick note about eternal life. Um, I know we're, we're running out of time. Actually, we're doing okay. Um, so I, I got another 30 minutes. I can go. You're like, please don't. Okay. Um, here's what I want to say about eternal life, and this is really important, Okay. Eternal life doesn't start as soon as you die. Eternal life does not start as soon as you die. Eternal life starts as soon as you testify and believe in Jesus. Because eternal life is not just about quantity. It's not just about length of time. It's also about quality. 
And, and when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and when you live out that confession in obedience to him, our quality of life on this side of eternity will be so much better. I, I, if, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I don't think my marriage would be the, the fine quality that it is today. And we celebrate 12 years today. It's our anniversary, right? If I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I don't think I'd be the kind of father that I am today. If I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I don't think my relationships, my mental health, my, my financial health would be what they are today. Now, I'm, I'm not perfect. You know that if you know me. But I'm not perfect by any means. But I know that my quality of life right now is far better with Jesus than without him. And I don't have to wait until I'm dead to experience that. Right? And I know many of you would claim the same thing. You've told me your stories, and you are far better off with Jesus today than you were before. Amen? Eternal life starts not when you die, but when you testify that Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh. Because eternal life is not about quantity alone. It's about quality. Right? And you can have that quality of life right now. But for too long, we have sold eternal life as something that only happens when you die. And what this does is it causes many people to postpone making decisions about Jesus. Because they, they say, well, I'll just live my life right now. I'll do whatever I want to. I'll have my fun. And then when I'm getting closer to death, when I'm 60, 70 years old, then I'll make a decision for Jesus. Because eternal life, it's not until after I die. But no one is guaranteed that length of life on this side of eternity. This is the, the last conversation that I had with my brother uh, just a couple months right before he, he died unexpectedly. And that was last year. Um, he was struggling in his marriage. He was struggling with his own kids' relationships, like with his sons. Um, and I told him, Sean, I, I just know that if you just trusted Jesus and if you followed his ways and you got to know him for yourself, not what other people were saying, but if you got to know him for yourself, your quality of life would drastically improve. You'd be the kind of husband that you want to be, that you're telling me you want to be. You'd be the kind of father that you want to be. And I prayed, man, God, would you allow that to sink into his heart and soul? And I would have loved way more time with him uh, and way more opportunity to talk to him about this and to finally hear him testify and say, this is how Jesus has transformed my life. But just a couple months later, he was gone. None of us are guaranteed that length of time on this side of eternity. And I know for me, I'm, I'm left with a lot of questions about my brother, and I'm having to just trust God's mercy and his grace over my brother. All right, but listen, the only testimony that matters and makes a difference for your life and your eternity is your own. It's your own. What other people say and testify about Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't lead to eternal life. Your testimony, what you believe, who you decide to follow and trust and obey is what makes all the difference. And please make it sooner than later because eternal life impacts right now. Eternal life happens and it begins as soon as you decide to follow Jesus. You don't have to wait until you're gone from this earth to experience eternal life. You can experience it now.
the witnesses, they've all come to the stand. They've all given their testimonies about who Jesus is. They've rested their case. But now, it's up to you to decide. Who do you say Jesus is? That's all that matters. And how will you live as evidence of your testimony of him? Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.